We are continuing our studies of the seven churches and how they are appropriate for today in our Revelation seminars. We've been finding out in prophecy what they mean. But in a change of tactics and things, we've been talking more about what they mean spiritually to us today and how we can use these lessons in what we use today. Today, in talking about the Church of Smyrna, it is a difficult subject because this, this church is a church which receives no words of warning, no words of condemnation of acts that they are committing, only praise. But when we look at it a little bit deeper, that praise seems difficult. And we are going to ask our quest, ourselves questions today that, that are hard to answer sometimes because a lot of times we don't know the, the answers. When we look at the world today, we here in America, when we think about persecution, tribulation, perhaps the worst that we think of is, I lost my job because I couldn't work on Sabbath. Or the neighbor thinks I'm funny because I go to church on Sabbath. But yet we see pictures on the news of Christians who are taken over by ISIS and they're given just two choices. Pay more money, which they don't have, or profess to be Muslim, give up your Christianity, or die. It is a very stark contrast to what we have here in America. In here, in America, we can even pretend to be Christians. We can be social Christians. And we can be Christian when we need to be and Christian. We don't have to be all the time. There's no great dividing line down there that says, this is your choice. A, you can say that Jesus is not your Lord and Savior. B, you can die. When we look at this over the past few years, it's estimated that over 36,000 have lost their lives since A.D. 70. Every year, statistically, over 36,000. We don't look at that today in some of our nice, well-meaning lives that we have today. It doesn't seem to come up, but it is there and it is happening. So it, in this light of these statistics of this, this thought pattern, we must ask ourselves, I must ask myself, what gave these men and women the courage to stand firm even in the face of death? What would give me the conviction to stand up and say, I will not renounce even though you slay me? When we look at the main theme of this letter today, we see that it's persecution, trial, and tribulation. Many of the other translations use other words such as sufferings, afflictions, troubles. And we see so much more in this when it talks about the tribulations 
it uses a specific Greek word, flipsis. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But that particular Greek word doesn't mean oppression and hard times and troubles. What it means is, in everyday terms, a crushing out of what you believe or what you think about. When they talk about this type of tribulation, it was also used in a particular style of how people were put to death. They took a very large rock. They would tie the people down on the ground and then they would roll the rock over them and crush them. This is the type of oppression that is being the words and the symbolism, which which Revelation, of course, is full of this symbolism. But that's what's being talked about here. It is not just an oppression, but it's a crushing of the same word is used in the crushing of grapes, in the crushing of olives to to extract what they can from that fruit this city that is being sent this letter smyrna is a city that was extremely loyal to the empire yes it was across the strait there and it's on the other side in what we now call turkey but when the roman empire said do this that's what they did And they did it in an extremely prejudicial way. That if you don't follow what we believe is right, you can neither buy nor sell, nor will we give you any help. In fact, we will probably imprison you. In fact, we will probably kill you. There is an ancient historian... And I know I'll pronounce his name wrong, but Eurebus is, he is noted for creating the first history of the church at this time. And he talks about many people from there. There's one example that I, that is, when you read this, it's very hard to read. But a mother is brought before the tribunal there, and she is brought with her children. And the mother is told, if you do not renounce your Christianity, we will kill your children one by one right in front of you. And each of her children is killed in front of her, and she does not give up her Christianity. In fact, she says, praise the Lord, they're all saved. It's an incredible story to read. And can we be there with this same conviction in our world today? We also look at this too and we see that this church not only was oppressed and we hear all these stories from this, but the word used to talk about how they are poor There are two words in Greek that are used. The first one says you're poor, you're needy, you don't have what you need beyond day-to-day living, hand-to-mouth. But the word that is used here is not that word. It means you're destitute, you have nothing. And so it describes these people as all their possessions stripped away, 
all of their ability to buy food, to make food, is stripped away. And they are ostracized by their neighbors. They are forbidden from so many things that we take for granted in our lives today. This imagery, do you understand the oppression that was here? And yet we see these people staying there and saying, Jesus is my Lord. If that's not enough, then we see that there is a group of so-called Jews who are Hellenistic, who are living there also, who say, you are not only incorrect in what you're worshiping, but you're unpatriotic. Now, we wouldn't say anybody's unpatriotic today, would we? But these people are accused of being unpatriotic because they would not burn a candle and say Caesar is Lord. And the Jews who knew them pointed this out and made sure that everyone knew who the Christians were. You could not hide because people who you thought were your friends would say they are a Christian. Take them away. This is what it's talked about here when it talks about they are agents of Satan. They profess to worship God, but yet they are agents of Satan. They are accusers of God's people. And they are literally slandering Christians. When we interpret this, William Barclay writes about six points about the Christians here in Smyrna and why they were so slandered. And they took their own principles and some of the things that we hold so dear and turned it against them. First, there was the practice of the Lord's Supper. And because of the language that is used there, where it's the body and the blood of Christ sacrificed for us, they accused them of being cannibals. Because of the emphasis in love, they accused them of being immoral and incestuous relationships. Because Christians made hard choices and left family and friends, they were accused of breaking up homes and ending marriages. Because they would not accept any other gods, they were actually accused of being atheists and unbelieving in God. Notice how it's just everything is being turned against them their own words are used to accuse them. The Christians would not, would not accept Caesar as Lord, and therefore they were said to be politically incorrect and disloyal. And even Caesar, or Nero himself, we see that he accuses the Christians of burning down Rome. So this crushing opposition economic disparity, abject poverty, ostracism, slander, and on top of this, they imprison and even kill. These were the daily experiences of the lives of the Christians in Smyrna. And yet, they persevere. How is this? Why is this? What gives them courage to carry on. As I read about this church, I must question my own stand of how I could do this. How about us? How about you? Would we do this 
if today when we left this building there are people outside with clubs who will beat us up? Would we do this today if I knew that by professing that I am a Seventh-day Adventist, that I will be, not maybe, I will be fired from my job. I will be told I can't buy anything. I can't sell anything. Would you still do this if the person next to you in the pew next to you stood up in front of a judge and said, that's a Christian. I know because I was there. What would you do? We, as Christians, must be certain of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way that we can survive something like that. We must be certain of our faith so that we can withstand the crushing blows of life. It is true. We may never experience those extremes. But the enemy has ways of getting to us even if we don't have those extremes. Am I living my life today in such a way that I am always with Christ? Or do I have a way that I say, well, I can go to church, I can hide it there, I don't have to do it anyplace else. Do we as a Christian church today want to be victorious? Do we have the tools and the capability this morning that no matter what life throws at us, we can be victorious? Let's take a closer look at what the church at Smyrna possesses that can make it victorious today. And as we study this, we get this guarantee, this idea, this belief, this assurance that no matter what, God will be with us. He is leading us in whatever comes our way. We notice the first promise in verse 9. Notice what God says of the church. You are poor, but right after that he doesn't stop. He says, but you are rich. The implication is obvious. This church is rich in grace and truth. But I believe it even goes deeper than that. You see... I believe the church in Smyrna could deal with the complete deprivations that they were in because they knew their God would see them through. They had the assurance God is leading. When we look at this ourselves, are we able to take those leaps of faith? Are we able to stand up with others at our work and say, this is what I believe? Are we able to say, I can give this money, this tithe, because I know God will bless? Am I able to talk to my neighbor even though he ridicules me and laughs at me, no matter what? Let me ask you another question. When the church of Smyrna went through these trials, did they believe God would ever let them down? We have to believe that or we cannot stand whatever comes our way. We are told that the church of Smyrna was absolute. It was in the absolute worst financial situation it could be in. And yet they are rich. They are rich in the knowledge of God's promises and his ability to provide our needs. Notice that God does not say, I will rescue you and put you on a mountain and give you gold and jewels. 
He says, I will meet your needs and I will be there with you no matter what. Do you believe this is true today? God is in the business of providing for his followers. His followers. We can read about other promises in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. In this promise, God tells us he will supply our need. Every last one of them. Now, he may not supply our wants. And sometimes we get those confused, but he will always supply our needs. And God will always take care of his children. You may think that gold and silver will take care of you in your life and in this life here. But the Bible tells us that gold and silver are used to pave streets. They are not worth anything. There are other things that are worth more. And what we have to realize is that God is much greater than anything he has created. And God will be with us no matter what. The Bible also says, do not fear because God is with us. He says, dismiss your fears when he talks to the church in verse 10. Seems like a hard statement to make to a church that is probably waiting for the door to be knocked down and be carried off to prison. How can you not fear in a situation like that? And why do we consider this statement a promise? This statement is a promise because of the one who is making it. This isn't some human being reaching out to the church with a pat on the back and saying, don't be afraid. No, this is a God, the God of the universe, making a statement. And because of that, this statement has the power to carry us through any hardship if we only believe it. It is a promise that has been made to us many times. We don't have to be afraid because we can be sure that the God of Israel is with us every step of the way. We are reminded of that wonderful text in Psalms 23 about walking through the shadow of the valley of death. I will fear no evil. That's the part of the promise that no matter what you're facing, you don't have to face it alone. The second part of the promise is found in the next sentence where it reads, you will have tribulation for 10 days. Whenever we look at the Bible, especially in Revelation, in Daniel, when it talks about tribulation, the next sentences always go to, and it ends. It never says tribulation happens forever. There's always more to this saying it will end. So always remember, no matter what you're going through, Jesus has plans for us. This tribulation will end. And even if the worst is yet to come, he promises, and in fact, in Matthew, he promises he will shorten tribulation because he knows that it may be too much for us. He will only give you what he knows you can handle. You may not think you can handle it, but as you recognize the power of the Almighty God, he will be on your side. Notice the instruction given to the faithful at Smyrna. Be faithful even unto death. 
I wish with all my heart today I could say that God will protect us and make us invincible, but he doesn't say that. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you so that you can even face death, no matter what comes to that. We look at also another individual from that same church written about by that same historian. His name is Polycarp. He is referred to by many traditions as a, he learned at the feet of the Apostle John. And he was considered the bishop or the pastor there at the Church of Smyrna. When we first kind of get a glimpse of him in our church history, he is an old man. He's probably in his 80s. His friends from other areas say, look, we've got people. We will take you away from here. You don't have to sit here and take this. We can. We want to move you away. You're too important to the church with your counsel, with your guidance. We will take you away. He refuses and he stays there. So he is brought up before the magistrate there in Smyrna, the Roman Pope Council, and is given one last chance to deny Jesus Christ. His reply comes to us today, and he says, Eighty-six years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has never wronged me. Now how can I deny my king who has saved me? The proconsul repeatedly threatens him and says, I will burn you at the stake. And the bishop replies, you threaten me with fire, which will burn for perhaps an hour and then go out. But what I will, my purpose is unchanged. And with that, they immediately set fire to the platform he was tied and chained to. Legend has it that they couldn't keep the fire lit. It kept going out. So finally, the proconsul got so mad, he sent a soldier up and stabbed him and killed him because they couldn't burn him. How could this 80, what, 86-year-old man stand up to this and remain unchanged. It's because of his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who declared to Smyrna, I am the one who is dead and have come back to life. He could face this unflinching, knowing that it wasn't the second death he was going to. But that someday soon, he would also be resurrected and meet his Savior. God will supply us with that faith, with that need. He will never leave us, no matter what, even unto death. But we have certain victory because we know that Jesus died for us also. Because of that victory, he has removed the crush of sin. The evil ones may crush us but sin never will. We have found deliverance today from that sin. Do you have that deliverance today? 
Do you have that victory? If you want it today, there's an opportunity for you to receive it, to say that the Lord Jesus Christ, today, in spite of what I'm facing, whatever my trials are today, I take you at your word. Come what may, I will follow you. Won't you receive it? Won't you take him at his word?